big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patrons, Phoebe and Lily. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like them and get access to all kinds of bonus content, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. We also want to acknowledge that it's been an extremely difficult week, especially for people with uteruses, and we just want our podcast to continue to be a source of joy and an escape and a safe and welcoming place for all of you. We believe that art and literature are sacred spaces for us to gather together and find community, and we hope that we're still giving you all some joy and a little solace. With that being said, enjoy our coverage of this final part of the 2008 Sense and Sensibility with our guests, Zoe and Kelsey of Tea and Strumpets. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to finally finish our coverage of the 2008 Sense and Sensibility. We are here joined today again by Zoe and Kelsey from Tea and Strumpets. Hello. Hello and welcome back. Hi. Thank you for having us. We're happy to have you guys back. If you guys want to know a little bit about Tea and Strumpets and all the work that Zoe and Kelsey do, you should definitely check out our previous podcasts where uh, they discuss it at length. I wouldn't start a rewatch <laughs> of uh, 2008 Sense and Sensibility at the last episode. So I recommend you going to the beginning of this like piece of the podcast anyway. But while you're at it, you might as well go and listen to the whole podcast. But if you specifically want to know stuff about Zoe and Kelsey, that's where you'll find it. Halfway through our coverage of the 2008 Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> I feel like it's fun to think about, you know, people coming into Sense and Sensibility halfway through. And, and you would think no one would do that. But I want to say that my girlfriend did do that because I had to finish watching the 1995 and I was at her house. And so she just like popped it on. She doesn't know anything about Jane Austen. This was the first time that we were watching it. And she was like, what's? happening. <laughs> My husband came in and out when I was watching the uh, miniseries, the Pride and Prejudice miniseries. And there were a lot of like, what's going on kind of moments from him. I was impressed when I sat down to watch this. My husband watched the whole thing with me. <laughs> yes. He didn't pop in and out. He was invested. Although sometimes he wasn't paying attention. He's like, wait, what's happening? What is this girl doing? Why is she crying? <laughs> They're on another walk. Where are they? <laughs> Who's this guy again? They're all named Fitzwilliam. Help. Everyone is named Fitzwilliam or John. Yeah. So speaking of people named John, well, not really, but we should just dive right back in to the final part of the 2008 Sense and Sensibility. So where we left off, listeners, uh, Marianne was just crying in Mrs. Ferrer's home. And Mrs. Ferrer was like, what's wrong with that girl? And Fanny was like, and it was very uh, sinister gossipy. So where we pick up, 
we cut to Lucy coming to see Eleanor at her little apartment in London. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I love Mrs. Ferrers. That was such a great night last night. And Eleanor was like, really? Because, <laughs> I mean, she made it pretty clear that she wants Edward to marry Miss Morton. And uh, Lucy very pointedly says, it's me he's made his promise to, not her or anybody else. Staking hmm. that claim. Yeah, I really loved Lucy's just like diving in, sucking up to Mrs. Ferris, and everything they said was about Miss Morton. Yep. Every single thing. Yep. <laughs> and she just, it goes over her head a little bit. She's aware, but she's like, nope, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, I think she really thought like, it doesn't matter about Miss Morton as long as they like me because then I have a leg up in the future with, you know, Mrs. Ferris. See, I had this thing in my head where I was like, she's just comparing what they say about her to what they say about Eleanor. Ah. Like, have you ever had a person in your life who knows you like a boy or or a girl and is like, oh, did you see them throw themselves at me? Oh. No, <laughs> thankfully, no. Oh, well, <laughs> I my, my high school experience was marked by some not nice girls <laughs> and that is how they operate. They're like, Oh, he was just all over me last night. It was kind of embarrassing as if you they don't know how you feel. And I felt like Lucy was doing that like, yep. oh, man, like the, she just liked me so much. <laughs> she just liked me so much. I just remembered I had a friend in fifth grade who would do this so much and not just with boys. Like she would come over to my house. I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before because she's just so these villains. She would come over to my house and she would be like, how was your weekend? And I would be like, it was good. And then she would be like, aren't you going to ask me how my, my weekend was? And I was like, okay, how was your weekend? And she would be like, oh, well, I hung out with this person and this person, like people that I was friends with. And she like wanted to make sure I knew that they were hanging out without me. And I was like, oh, okay. So you're Lucy Steele. <laughs> yes. Got it. I mean, like I experienced that too, but I wasn't even privy to it. It would be more like they would just be in class talking about all the fun they had together over the weekend. I'd be like, cool, 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 cool. Kids are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's like everyone finds the moment in their life to shed the toxic people. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> once you do, you're like, oh, OK, mm -hmm. this is what like true friendship is. You don't want anything else like like anywhere near the realm of this sort of petty competitiveness. Oh, yeah. No, I will say I haven't had to compete with my friends in a long time. And also when someone does come in and I get that competition vibe, I'm like, I'm not competing with you. I honestly don't care. So I, I'm very <laughs> confused as to why you think this is a competition and you need to like badmouth me because honestly, seems a little unnecessary. Clearly, you've got some things to work on there. Yeah. Well, speaking of competition, they're sitting there and Edward comes in and he like grabs Eleanor's hands and Eleanor's like, um, wait, wait, you, I'm sure you know Miss Lucy Steele. And he's like, uh, yes, hello. How are you? See the record scratch go across his face. So uncomfortable. And Eleanor is so uncomfortable. And she's like, I'm going to go get Marianne. And she goes to the door. But then Marianne pops in and she is so excited to see Edward. And she's like, well, why weren't you? Why didn't you, haven't you come to see us yet? And he's like, oh, I had other engagements. And Marianne is like, what? Like, we're, we're your best friends. And then that's when we get Lucy Steele saying, perhaps you think young men never stand upon their engagements. And Marianne is like, well, Edward always keeps his word when he has given it. Every time this line happens in any adaptation slash in the book, uh, it hits me how like on the nose it is. And I'm like, 
Oh, yeah. He does always keep his word when he has given it, doesn't he? It just hits. It hits different every time. You're like, if only you weren't so noble. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, oh, and I, I want to be like, I hate you, but I really don't. And Edward is like, yes, I, I do keep my engagements. And that being so, I got to go because I forgot it. I promised my sister I would uh, come to her house. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and then Lucy is like, OK, well, I'll go with you. And then she leaves with him. But cut to Anne, Fanny, and Mrs. Ferrers in the Ferrers household. Little Henry is playing with toys. Oh, this is the moment. It's it's not related to the plot, but we have to talk about it. There's a bowl of what appeared to be gold nuggets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Ferrers just picks one up and crunches into it <laughs> with her teeth. <laughs> And it's like an almond or something, but it's gold plated and it just looks like she's eating rocks. And I just think that's really on brand for her. I did see that. And I was just like, I did notice all the gold like onto everything. And I'm like, oh, so you're just like showcasing your wealth. That doesn't even look good. That just is a total. That's a power play. That's all that is. (laughs) Did you guys ever have those like if you went to Cape Cod or something and they sold chocolate rocks in little jars and they like were chocolate but they were coated in candy and made to look like they were rocks I have had chocolate rocks before they had those at like because we're obviously not near Cape Cod (laughs) having never been to Cape Cod um but they did have that like at the since I'm in Northern California the heart of the California gold rush when you go to like the train museum or like any museum or with people who are like a part of the gold rush they'd have like you know big chunks of candy rocks you know yeah so basically mrs Ferrers went to one of those museums and she got a thing of gold rocks yeah it's just munching <laughs> has anybody here had like edible gold before no no I, I feel like I have but I don't have like a memory of it so I feel like I can't I can't confirm nor deny so it's like really thin because to to eat gold safely it has to be like pounded down really really hard which is why it's like only a thin coating on things it has little to no taste and the taste that is there doesn't really add anything to the dish so if you're eating gold you have there is nothing to it except for the fact that you want to poop gold later Well, no, but that's the crazy thing. So like you also get into the fact like now I'm older and it's like, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, and there's gold leaf on this. And I'm like, you know, our bodies don't like to expel metal, right? Like the metal just likes to hang out in your body and stay there forever. So why are you eating that? That sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> I was going to say though, uh, I've definitely had gold schlager and I think that, that oh, there has you go. some gold in it. <laughs> had, that does have gold in it. That's the whole point. I've had that too. Wait, what is that? It's essentially cinnamon schnapps with gold flex in it. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Shameful moment on my end. The reason I know what it is is because of the movie Superbad. <laughs> well, I was going to say you also find it in Superbad. It's part of the main plot. <laughs> nice. I was actually at the store and I was like looking for a cordial and I was like searching, searching, searching. And I like came across the gold slug and I was like, ha. <laughs> uh, now I need to try that. That should be on our next. Um, we have to do a cocktail video for our patrons. So Ooh. patrons, Becca and I will try gold, sh- gold schlag, gold gold schlager, gold schlager, uh, on the Patreon. There you go. <laughs> so they're hanging out, Fanny and the and Anne and Mrs. Bears and Anne lets slip. She's like, "Oh well, we've seen Edward very often. He comes to visit us in Plymouth all the time." And Fanny's like, "Well, why would he come visit you in Plymouth?" And you can tell that. Fanny knows that Anne's not 
like Anne's not paying attention to what she's saying because the way she's looking at her and Anne is like well he comes to see Lucy of course and then she pulls a Hagrid and she's like I shouldn't have done that (laughs) I shouldn't have told you that (laughs) and she's so funny when she does it and she starts crying and Fanny is like her whole face like that actress is like amazing because you just see her they say like you can see their face crumple Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what her face did her whole face face just like crumpled when she like admitted it she's like oh this is a disaster it's so melodramatic and the facial acting is just so amazing oh loved it (laughs) it's so good and then as if on cue edward and lucy come in and mrs fair and uh yeah is it mrs fair she's like is it true that you two are together and lucy looks at anna she's like what did you do and then anna anna's just sobbing and she's like i'm sorry it just popped out (laughs) which is my favorite line in the whole thing yeah quick side note here just uh for a little fun fact from the book's perspective one of the ways you know lucy steele is ultimately a villain is at the end of the book she like flings anne out into poverty Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she like doesn't give her anything oh poor anne as punishment for her slip of the tongue. Ugh, yep. Awful. So Mrs. Ferrers uh, says that if Edward doesn't abandon this ridiculous plan, he will have nothing from her. And the camera work here is very much like it's zooming in on her face. And she's like, if you do not abandon this ridiculous plan, it's very in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice when the camera zooms in on Lady Catherine and she goes all five out at once. It's the <laughs> same exact camera work onto the older lady villain. Um, So shout out Andrew Davies for that one. (laughs) Then she tells him that he can like starve on the streets and Lucy's not welcome there anymore. And Edward's like, well, if you're kicking out Lucy, then I'm going too. And she says, okay, great. Bye. And the sad music swells. And we see Lucy also like on her face, kind of like calculating, oh my God, I've got nothing now. (laughs) What am I going to do? Then we cut to Eleanor sitting alone on her bed, staring out the window. And Marianne comes in and she's like, how long have you known this? Now, I was kind of sad that we missed them finding out that Lucy and Edward are together. Because in the 1995, and also in the book, I believe, Mrs. Jennings finds out first and like runs around town telling everyone. Yeah. So here we just like this, this movie does it a lot where they like, cut to the consequence of the thing and we don't see the thing itself like it happens again later with the um oh mr uh, colonel brandon has a favor to ask you and then we cut to eleanor and edward having a conversation about the living like mm-hmm. we don't actually get to see that conversation happen well we had to make room for zoe's favorite scene the, the duel <laughs> yeah exactly the duel took precedence okay yes the duel of course totally so Um, Marianne is like, how can you possibly bear this? And Eleanor says she hopes he's very happy. Marianne says, then you must not have felt so much for him after all. And then Eleanor has like one single tear, like single tear emoji. And she says she's suffered all the punishments of an attachment without enjoying any of the advantages. End quote. I might not have shown it, Marianne, but let me assure you, I have been very unhappy. And I thought this moment was so sweet because it's not like in the 95 when... Eleanor is like crying and yelling at Marianne a little bit and is like it's just like she's actually admitting that she feels emotions differently and she's like really holding them in and and I really like it. This was actually my favorite scene because like I just like 
I became Eleanor in that moment. Like I'm such a bottler and it's just like I would bottle things up and like not let it show. And then, of course, to have my sister like poke and prod me and be like, it must not mean anything because you're like, why are you not like flinging yourself around? And she's like, I just don't do that. But it's such a sister bonding moment because it really shows Eleanor actually have that breakdown and show that raw feeling to her sister who is of the romantic mind and so of course she's like oh my god like I thought it was bad for me like my poor sister has just been suffering in silence this whole time and I just thought it was such a good beautiful sister bonding moment and I just I loved that scene it was actually one of my favorites in the movie I totally agree with what you have to say Kelsey and I think that this scene as I've said before I have a preference for the 95 version over this version um but I think this scene was one where like I wouldn't say the other kind of moment between Marianne and Eleanor in the 95 was better I thought like this one I wouldn't say this one was better either but I thought they both like were like I love I love this scene in general like where you have this this really tender moment between these two sisters kind of understanding each other because I think you know Eleanor gets Marianne right she she gets her because Marianne is is more open but Marianne doesn't get Eleanor as much and so it really is this kind of window into them understanding each other and I I agree I thought it was like such a powerful scene and a beautiful moment Mm -hmm. I agree that this one isn't like better than the 95 in any way in particular but what I did appreciate about this scene more then this scene in the 95 is that at the end of the scene in 95, Marianne starts crying in a very like, mm. I'm upset that you just yelled at me kind of way. Mm. And Eleanor ends up having to comfort her. And in this one, Marianne is just like really affected by what Eleanor says. And she comforts Eleanor. And I think that that's what Eleanor needed in this moment. I don't remember exactly that scene. So now now you're, you've refreshed my memory. So yeah, that that <laughs> I, I prefer this one a little bit in, in that respect. I also think that the actress who plays Marianne, I think this is her best moment in the, oh, yeah. in the whole series too. Yeah. I think when it comes to sense and sensibility, my personal opinion is that the men are great, but this is really like the sisters are the story in every sense mm-hmm. yeah. sensibility. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think that when it comes to adaptations, I have certain opinions about what absolutely must be done correctly. Like for an, another example, like I really loved the book, Big Little Lies. And I thought the TV show didn't do everything perfectly, but I thought they did correctly what needed to be done correctly. And I think with Sense and Sensibility, what needs to be done correctly is the relationship between Eleanor and Marianne. And it is just so nailed in this scene. Mm-hmm. The actors do such a good job. And like you really, you see the complexities of being sisters and loving each other, but being different. So, you know, frankly in this scene, and I think what's interesting about this is that this is actually almost word for word from the book. Mm-hmm. This is like the speech Eleanor gives in the book where for me, the the 95 speech Eleanor gives, the for weeks, Marianne, I've had this precedent on me, is like burned into my brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I find it to be, it's like the balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet. It's like the scene you have to do right. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, no, it makes total sense to me. I'm 
having not read the book, I don't know, but you know, I just, <laughs> I really felt that this was one of like the highlights of the whole thing for me it was like literally that scene, that moment. And a lot of like, almost in that moment, I was able to forgive Marianne all her annoying qualities for the rest of the series, because like in that moment, it finally clicked in her brain. And she was like, oh, I need to not be the child here. And in a way, it's kind of like now that I'm thinking about you're talking about like the balcony scene and it being so pivotal and important. In a way, this is almost the the central conflict resolution of the book, mm -hmm. right? Like Marianne and Eleanor are understanding each other for the, for the first time on both sides. So this is the conflict resolution we've been kind of waiting for. And so it, it, it almost feels like a climax in a way too of its own, because like you've got different love stories, but some of them haven't even really started. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I mean, sort of really interesting to think about, but I, yeah, I'm so there with you. Yeah. Yeah. So then Charlotte has her baby and Mrs. Jennings is like, okay, we're going to go to Cleveland. Um, by the way, the colonel has a favor to ask you, Eleanor. And then that's when we cut to Edward and Eleanor having this conversation. So we, we skip over uh, the colonel asking her to ask him, which is a whole thing. And then we have her offering the living to Edward. And Edward is like, what? Really? Why? And they're standing eight feet apart, which I think is hilarious. They're not sitting. They're just like standing there looking at each other. It's like a basically <laughs> empty room and they're like thriving in a 2020 sort of look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very much. And Edward is like, well, I must have you to thank for this. And she's like, no, no, it's your own merit. What I realize is that in this scene, in the 95 and in... The book, maybe not in the 95, but in the book, this scene for me was like him starting to think, oh, wait, does she like the colonel? Are they a thing? Is that why they're doing this? Are, are they in love? And earlier in this adaptation, I thought that they were going to lean into the Eleanor and Brandon thing. Mm -hmm. And they didn't in this scene. Edward is clearly so sure of her feelings for him and not at all jealous. And I actually really appreciated that. And I really loved this scene. They like get to have their conversation. He's like, why don't you think badly of me? And she's like, you never deceived me. She says, one of my favorite lines is, I, d I wouldn't think so highly of you if you had acted differently. Because um, he stuck to his word. He's a man of honor. She's a woman of honor. Then I get it now. And I just I love this scene for them that they get to actually like talk about their feelings because they're the two people who I think talk about their feelings the least in this story. I did appreciate the feeling talking as anyone who has ever listened to our podcast. My biggest rant and rave is like, if only they had had an open and honest conversation. I am not for misunderstandings. I think if they hadn't had this conversation and really like solidified like that she wasn't mad at him, you know, you could have written a whole other book about the saga of Eleanor and Edward having a misunderstanding and like finally getting their heads out of their own asses, you know? But because they had this beautiful, open and honest conversation, like, and I felt like you could still really feel Eleanor's hurt in what she was saying, but she was also like very determined. Like, I think in a way it was like her way of showing the hurt without like becoming Marianne, you know, mm -hmm. in that moment, like she's mm -hmm. like still very poised and put together, but she's just like, I don't think this of you. Like, in fact, like 
it's part of why I admired you. And it almost like reassures me that I wasn't wrong to admire you. Mm -hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm sure our listeners will do so if Becca doesn't. But I don't think that at this point they have this conversation in the book. They are not this open and honest in the book with each other. But I do agree that this is a great scene for open and honest conversation because I think it does reflect one of the points of the book that is hard to pick up on if you're not in the time period, which is that these two people clearly love each other and they don't actually question that the other person has feelings for them. It's just circumstances. Yeah. I mean, Edward questions Eleanor's feelings for him a little bit, but mostly they know that they would be perfectly happy together if they actually had the ability to be happy together. What's holding them back from each other is not Edward really two-timing her or Eleanor not being able to express her emotions. What's holding them back from each other is Lucy Steele and the obligation Edward has to not ruin her reputation in this time period because you can't break off engagements like if you're a man in this time period. Yeah, it's not acceptable for a man to break off an engagement. If he does, it throws shade at the woman. A woman is the only one who can break an engagement without being like heavy repercussions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is what makes Willoughby a rake. I think Edward is in a lot of ways the foil to Willoughby because Willoughby is not enough bound by his honor and Edward is so bound by his honor that it ruins his life. So... I think this scene does the work of creating that dynamic for us that is implicit in the books, but we in this time period don't have the the right context for it. Yeah. And I think that like having this conversation now affects how we can view the movie later on and view Eleanor's responses to things like when he gets married or when she thinks he gets married, Mm -hmm. she's like so calm about it because they've had this conversation and like I wasn't watching and being like, Eleanor, yeah, like I was with the book, which is what, you know, I think is the response that a lot of people have. Really quick, Zoe and Kelsey, I do have to say this is a huge win for me because a lot of the book was me trying to convince Molly that Edward wasn't a trash person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and Dan Stevens' face helps too. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) drown in his eyes, why don't you? (laughs) Yeah. So then we cut to them riding to Cleveland and Brandon helps them out of the carriage and Marion holds his hand for just like a moment. And is like, thank you. And I'm like, ooh. And then we cut to our classic. This scene is in every movie, apparently. The two sisters under the covers, or in some cases, two lovers under the covers. But they're just under the covers looking at each other by candlelight. It's very 2005 Pride and Prejudice. It's very Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. And they are talking about men. And Marianne says, what strange creatures men are. Perhaps they see us not as people, but as playthings. Uh, I fully think that you're getting it finally, Marianne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that there are some men who really do think that. <laughs> and you were wrong to dismiss the man who doesn't think that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's thinking in this scene about Eliza. And I, I'm glad that we get to talk so much about Eliza in this movie. The movie never forgets her, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then we get Marianne walking through her hedge maze and it starts to rain and she 
runs through the rain and she goes to the cover of the Grecian temple and it almost looks like the exact same temple from the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and the rain is coming down and she's running through the woods and she starts to look like she's a little bit lost, which I think maybe is supposed to explain why she's been gone for so long in the rain. Yeah, there was a lot of like, it's like her thoughts and then it kind of like escalated and I was like, oh, she's just going to wait out the rain and then she's like, nope, I'm just going to go through the rain some more. And I'm like, Marianne, why are you just so obsessed with like standing in the rain? (laughs) She's like standing like chest bared up to the sky, like looking at the rain coming down on her face. I was like, this is a little bit much. And it cuts to the house and Brandon like runs in to the room where everyone's hanging out. And he's like, where's Marianne? And Mr. Palmer's like, oh, she's gone out walking. Who knows where she is now? And so Brandon like runs out to his horse and he's going, he's looking for her. And it's like flashing back and forth between him looking and her standing in the rain. And it looks like lightning's about to strike her. And we flash back to Willoughby and Alanum. And when he was like walking up the stairs and their hands almost touching on the banister, lightning flash. It's all, it's just quite a lot all at once. Very Uh dramatic. Mm -hmm. Then we see a long shot of her standing like on a field and there's a tree there. And then we cut to Brandon riding and he's screaming her name. And then we cut back to the tree, but there's no Marianne. And it's like, where'd she go? And then Brandon sees her lying crumpled on the ground in the rain. And he scoops her up and he brings her back. And he's like, we have to make a fire in her room. And then he's like, she must be stripped and chafed all over. And he starts taking off her clothes. <laughs> and then like Eleanor's like, <clears throat> and he's like, right, you do that. You do that. I'm going to go out here. Did he? I thought it was, I thought he, he, maybe I'm mixing it up with something else I watched or read recently, but I really thought he was like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. But did Eleanor? I think he did, but he, he did that because like Eleanor and somebody else was like in the room like trying to help and then he would like start to take over and then he like looked up and he was like maybe I shouldn't be the one doing this in my brain it was sort of like that's what he did to Eliza 1.0 when she was in the when he found her in the poorhouse and he like he was like inhibition's gone she's dying I gotta save her Mm -hmm. and in that situation he really is the only the only person there but he remembers here like oh this there are other people. Yes. No, but I also, I liked it in a moment too, because it was almost like he was so intent on getting Marianne well and like helping her and Mm -hmm. like being the hero that it took him a moment to be like, oh, there are other people here. Like it just like, for me, I thought it was fine because I just thought it was just like the intensity of the moment. And he's like, so in such concern. And then it was more like, they didn't have to push him away. It was just more like, oh, I can leave this to you. I'll go do this other thing, you know, to. Yeah. She also like seemed to like wake up a little bit and look at him. And he was like, oh, if she's not unconscious, this is super improper. Yeah. And then he like excused himself. But I did. I He was such a hero in this moment and also so hot. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. 
After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Also, once again, plagiarizing pretty much exactly from the 95 because Colonel Brendan does not carry her through the rain in the book. So <laughs> what happens in the book again? Because that's all I can see now. She goes walking in the rain. She comes back. She's got a little cold. Oh, and everyone's like, oh, she's fine. And Brendan's like, is she fine? And then she turns out to not be fine. We just really need the high drama. Well, of course, because, you know, or as a modern day person, we can't understand why someone would get vastly ill from a simple walk in the rain because that's not drama enough. They need to be soaking wet and like passed out on the ground. And then we can understand why they got so deathly ill. Yeah. Shouts to Jane Austen for her Bronte moment here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. So later Eleanor comes down and she tells Brandon that she's a little recovered and that she asked to see him. So he comes in and he takes her hands and then she takes her hand away and puts it on top of his hand. And then he does this little smile and it's very sweet. And she falls asleep holding his hands. (sighs) And then um, they're downstairs again. Mrs. Jennings is like, it's just a chill. Cheer up. It's okay. It's just a little cold, which it's totally not because that night Marianne gets a fever and we get the shot of her eye and him the doctor like looking in her eye and her pupil dilating while he's looking at her and it's very spooky and a very cool shot and the doctor is like her lungs are congested it has a putrid tendency which means it's like rapidly getting worse and Eleanor then like goes to Brandon and she's like send a man to fetch our mother and he's like I'll go myself right now which is uh, our peak Brandon moment in my opinion Then we get Eleanor sitting over Marianne and crying. And honestly, like, yes, the scene. No, no, I'm not going to. Never mind. Not going to compare. Yeah, no, no, no. We we cannot compare these. I will not. I will not. They're both wonderful. I know Becca would come for me if I even (laughs) tried. But in this one, it hits me very hard because she is so young and because she's all by herself in the room with Marianne. Um. This also in this version is the first time we really see Eleanor cry because before she was just like tearing up as opposed to like really breaking down like she it it was a breakdown for her. But this is the first time we see her sobbing and 
it's just so sad. To me, I think the thing that really gets me about the scene and uh, the woman who plays Eleanor, her performance in the scene is the way she's she's frantically trying to cool Marianne down Mm -hmm. while she's wiping away the tears as if like she's panicking, but she's not letting it all like out at the time. It's just that she's in so much pain here and she's so scared that the tears are falling while she's doing things. And it's it's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. Like, I honestly was like very concerned for her and like poor Eleanor. Like you really I really felt that emotion there. And I just was like and again, I saw it's just like she's crying because she's panicking and she's just trying so hard and nothing is working. And she's like, I don't know what else I can do. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, Eleanor wakes up and sees that Marianne is just very still. And you see this like panic on her face like oh my god is she dead and then Marianne takes a deep breath and Eleanor is so relieved and she runs over to her and she kisses her hand and Marianne goes Eleanor and then Eleanor just bursts into tears of relief and it's so beautiful and so relieving and we cut to Eleanor reading to Marianne from a book and a servant comes and says there's a gentleman asking for you and who is it but John Willoughby of Alanum of Alanum uh, John Willoughby of Alanum formerly of Alanum <laughs> John Willoughby formerly of Alanum that would be a very good like button or t-shirt <laughs> save it in the thoughts pile for when you need merch <laughs> yeah um he's downstairs and Eleanor comes down and she's like I don't have time for this which I really love she's like please go away and he's like I really want your forgiveness and she's like you're not welcome here and he's like okay well let me just talk to you anyway and this whole thing is very like confrontational and not at all like I can't sympathize with him at all I was so Eleanor in this moment like me Zoe sitting watching this was like I also don't have time for this. Like I, <laughs> I literally like my note from this, this is the pacing is so slow. Why is Willoughby here? I don't care anymore. Like I was just like, I really don't care. I don't need to see him grovel. I don't need him at all anymore in this story. Like I, I really felt like this scene was a miss and maybe it's in the book, but I just felt like it was just it was not necessary for this adaptation. It wasn't even a grovel. It was like, aren't I punished enough? He's like, I'm forced to be married to this woman who like, I really don't like for her money. And I'm just like, who cares? Go away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was gross. I think that like they honestly, the fact that you had that response, Zoe, I love because I think that they hit the nail on the head with it, which is like everything that you said. He we're done with him in this story, but he's trying so hard to like weasel his way back in. And I think that like the response is. I don't care anymore. And I'm I liked how they did it because everything that came out of his mouth was slimy when he said a circumstance occurred when he was talking about Eliza and Mm -hmm. Eleanor goes a circumstance in the exact tone that you would say, like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Um, It was just it was really on point for me. Fair enough. And Marianne hears them yelling at each other and she like is watching from above. I thought that was a weird choice too, but I don't know. Maybe that's that, also that was a, a weird book choice. thing, but I was like, mm, that's not a book thing. <laughs> no, that was weird. Although I was proud of Marianne for not running down the stairs and being like, Willoughby. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think maybe they put her there to make it sense of like, you know, cause we've seen her like more interested in Colonel Brandon. So I think having her like overseeing this is really more her like 
I need to be done with him. Like, I feel okay concentrating on this man who actually like tried to save my life and like went to fetch my mother. And this guy's over here like, woe is me. Feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. She didn't need to be in that scene. No, I don't think she did. I think the whole, I agree with you though. It was kind of slow. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Can we get going here? (laughs) So in the book, this scene is uh, Willoughby like rides through the night when he he hears Marianne is on her deathbed. Uh, from like John Middleton Mm. and he like needs to know she's alive and then ends up explaining himself to Eleanor and in sort of a slightly like desperate like delirium um so it's sort of getting Willoughby's side of the story and I don't think this adaptation is interested as much in Willoughby's side of the story right and more interested in giving us catharsis of letting Eleanor yell at him totally fair yeah, I appreciated that she also was having none of it. Um, but it was <laughs> I just I I think like it could have been left on the cutting room floor. Like I don't think it added anything to the the series. But uh, you know, I we all took something different away from it. Yeah. I think what what I did find I agree with everybody that Marianne watching is a little bit weird. I think that that's something for the the modern reader I felt like it was for me because reading the book, Eleanor doesn't tell Marianne right away that Willoughby actually loved her. It's like left up to Eleanor to like ruminate on to be like, do I want Marianne to know that he really loved her or do I want her to think that he's just a slime ball and so she can get over him faster? And it's kind of an unnecessary plot line, but it's like Eleanor's honor and everything is in question there. And she ends up telling her a while later when Marianne's had some time to grow and like be okay again. But it's just like it is. I think it's. It's, I think it's good for a movie or like a series to have Marianne just know right away. So and like also see how slimy he, he is. But the scene is like, yeah, it's like it doesn't need to be there. What really needs to happen is what happens next, which is Mrs. Dashwood comes home and Eleanor runs out and she's like, she's OK. She's OK. And everyone is so relieved and they run in and are hugging and, and everyone's happy again. And we have Mrs. Dashwood and Marianne snuggling and Mrs. Dashwood saying she can't believe it. They they all believed Willoughby was good. And Marianne's like, he deceived himself. He wanted to believe his own words. And she's got her growth. And then she she just tells her growth in the carriage in the next yep. scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're riding home. And Marianne says, uh, I think Colonel Brandon is an exceptional man. He was faithful to his first love. He's the true romantic. It is not what we say or feel that makes us who we are, but what we do or fail to do. Ugh, Marianne, you finally figured it out. Good girl. She figured it out. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm happy for her and everything, but <laughs> I was just a little bit like, all right, Marianne, gosh, being 17 is, is a thing, isn't <laughs> being it? Being 17 is so hard. <laughs> I actually agree with Zoe on the scene. I think it's very on the nose. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I said it in a sing-song voice because it was very like, all right, we but we got it, though. We got it already. So we get back to Barton and Margaret runs up to them and she's like, guess what? I know all the kings and queens now. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. Mrs. Dashwood is watching Brandon and Marianne saying goodbye. And she goes, why? Why is he saying goodbye when he has the advantage now? And Eleanor says she's heard that all the great horse tamers do it. Nine times out of ten, the wild horse will follow when you leave. And I'm like, all right. Marianne is not a horse, guys. <laughs> uh, I actually loved that. I mean, I, I feel like it's it is an animal thing. Like a lot of animals, though, do like you know startle easily, and they are more likely to trust you when, when you kind of like you know 
come in and then take your leave. Yeah. You know, if you know, if you walk away from a cat before the cat walks away from you, it will be like, huh, that was weird. And I don't know. And as a horse person, Kelsey and I both did horses professionally. Yeah. We're horse people. So it made sense to us. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, yeah, we don't need to necessarily, you know, equate uh, humans to animals. But I, I got it. No, yeah, I li- I didn't hate it. I thought it was a little bit funny. Yeah. While we're watching them, there's the whole thing with the horse that she had been gifted before. like Queen she- Mab. Uh, that was such a cute horse. I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I was like, why can't someone buy me a horse as a present? <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to date Willoughby, then you get the like reward of the horse for like the month. And then you get the almost dying in the rain for all the time after. <laughs> well, there you go. So-, <laughs> so then we cut to Eleanor and Marianne standing on the cliffs and talking about their feelings. And this the shot is so good because they are standing there and it's a shot from behind and their dresses are just like floofing up. So their butts are just like ginormous. And it's so funny, the whole conversation, their dresses are just big balloons on their butts. Um, And they're just talking. Marianne says Colonel Brandon promised her that she can come play his piano forte anytime. Mm. And then they cut to her coming to play his piano forte. Mm -hmm. Wink, wink. But he like, leaves her in the library to explore on her own. And he's like, come find me later. And it was like very gentlemanly because he didn't want to like be in a room alone with her for too long, which I thought was very sweet. I also noted her new scarf. She let go of the Willoughby scarf and got a new one. So Uh, good for her. I noted the giant bowl of peaches and strawberries (laughs) that was in this room, neither of which looked particularly ripe. Like the strawberries especially were like very white. Um, uh, But I thought this was really funny because there was just like a really big bowl of peaches and strawberries in the library. That is so funny because in the first episode, Eleanor says to Margaret, don't worry we're going to go have a picnic at Colonel Brandon's estate tomorrow. And he has fresh peaches and strawberries on his property from the greenhouse. Oh. Okay. Well, I didn't catch that line. I didn't know that either. That's a little minute detail. Like, I love I love it when they are very consistent. Okay. So that's way more interesting to me now because otherwise <laughs> I thought just like, what is this? massive bowl of peaches and strawberries that was like in every shot as she walked around. This is so so funny. This is why a deep dive watch is fun because we can piece together different details and learn. Oh, that was actually an interesting choice. Yes, that was a particular choice. That was a actual choice like mm-hmm. yeah secret for those who actually pay attention and then there's me who's like there was a bowl of peaches and strawberries <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't notice the bowl of peaches and strawberries so I'm so glad that it was there and that you brought it up I couldn't look away <laughs> so she's playing the piano and we get this little montage of Brandon letting a bird fly free which is very symbolic uh <laughs> <laughs> and then he catches the bird again and Marianne is standing with him all of a sudden and he lets her pet the bird and we can see them falling in love. And then we cut to before we go off this scene. This is the same piece that he gave her the first time they met Aww. and she couldn't play it before. And before Aww. they had a montage of him with the dead birds um, and his dog. Oh my and God. she was struggling to pay, play the piece. Wow. And now she can play it through. And the bird's and alive. And he's hanging out with a live bird. And a live <laughs> bird's alive. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. man. Brilliant. Love it. It's so sappy. Symbolism. And so on the nose. But it's so good. Uh, wow. 
Then we cut to Eleanor and Marianne walking back toward the house and they run into their servant, Thomas. And he's like, oh, by the way, Mrs. Ferris sends her regards. Uh, Miss Lucy Steele as was. And Eleanor is like, "Uh," and then Marianne is like, oh, my God, are you okay?" And Eleanor's like, nope, it's just as we expected. This isn't a surprise. And in a little while, it'll be as if nothing has ever happened. And that was the moment where I was like, "Okay, well, because they had that conversation, I feel a little bit less angry at her for letting this go so easily Mm -hmm. and we get this Eleanor moving on montage where she's sitting on the cliffs and painting wandering around collecting fish she changes the painting of Norland on the wall that she's done to a painting of Barton she prepares some foods then Mrs. Dashwood is like are you okay and Eleanor's like I'm perfectly contented and then we cut to her looking out over the water on a bench staring at the sea and then this scene, this, I don't know what to do with this, but here it comes. Eleanor and Marianne in their room that night. And Marianne says, Colonel Brandon has proposed to me and I have said yes. Now, what? <laughs> I don't know why they did this. I know that seemed really abrupt to me. Like it was like, okay, they're fe- like her feelings towards him are growing. Like, okay, great. And then she's like, nope, getting married. Yeah. In the book, it takes about like, Two years. Two years. For them to get engaged. after It's like a, in the epilogue. So I was like, this is, I think it's because Marianne and Brandon are such um, a big part of the story. They wanted like, they wanted it to be resolved. But I don't know. Eleanor's like, well, you shouldn't marry him out of gratitude. And Marianne's like, well, no, I, I really love him. My feelings for him have really changed. And I do think that we got to see that. And it's a very sweet moment where they like, hug and Eleanor's happy for Marianne and Marianne is like you need to be this happy too and Eleanor's like well I'll find a colonel one day but I just don't know why they did it yeah I I like it better when Marianne has time to work on herself but I actually think it's because they want to arc the whole story around Eleanor and Edward and they want the story to end with sure Eleanor finally being happy when everything else is resolved fair enough yeah it did seem really abrupt though I will say like it just like it felt a little bit like not a particularly satisfying resolution to that just because of how quickly it all happened. So, so I, yeah, I wasn't as big of a fan of that kind of the way that they wrapped that one up. Yeah. To play the devil's advocate of my own point, it's different from the resolution of the book in that in, in the book, what really got me in the end, that was what Becca described to me is that Marianne and Eleanor switched places and and Eleanor ended up with the whirlwind romance that's forbidden love and all this and and Marianne ended up with like the slow and steady whatever um this I think keeps Marianne at a like high level romantic like she's like I I'm in love now like she feels her feelings really fast and like she doesn't change how she operates to be with Brandon and I think maybe that is what they're going for is that like she can stay who she is and he accepts her for that. I get, which is fine. It's just not how, it's not how the book ends and uh, not how I think Marianne's arc should end, but like, yeah. I get it, I guess. So yeah. So, okay. How this one ends though, is that then Edward arrives and Margaret runs inside and, oh, I had to just say here before we get to the actual end of this book, so many of our listeners wrote in when we talked about the doors in the cottage being really low. Um, and and I learned what this actually is for. In a seaside area where there's a lot of drafts, lower doors keep the heat in 
better. So oh. there's less room for the wind and the sand and the air to come in. And that's why the, all the doors are so low. Oh, interesting. That's a fun fact. I love fun facts. Once again, very, very uh, interesting detail there. Yeah. So like if you're heating a room with a fire, there's there's less room for the heat to escape. Well, that makes sense because heat rises and then, you know, you've got the door blocking it. So instead of just like blooping out the doorway, it's like it gets trapped. Right. So it just reminded me in this scene because Margaret runs inside and the door is Margaret sized and she's eight. So uh, <laughs> she runs inside. She's like, Edward's here. Edward's here. They rush to get ready. They go in the living room. Edward arrives and they're like, we wish you joy. And he's like, um, thank you. And Eleanor is like, is Mrs. Ferrers in town? And he's like, my mother? No. And she's like, I meant Mrs. Edward Ferrers. And he's like, surely you mean Mrs. Robert Ferrers. And I want to take a screenshot of all of their faces because it's just a shot of all of the women standing there like with their mouths hanging open. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And then Margaret loudly goes, so now you can marry Eleanor, which is phenomenal. (laughs) Peak. Peak. Peak, Margaret. Meg. Eleanor just runs out of the room. Edward chases her out she starts panicking and she's putting her apron back on just like trying to process I know I love it she's like I gotta go do something with my hands I got a kitchen yeah because she has spent so much time trying to be okay with not ending up with him so she's just having she's trying to get back on this little level she's in full shock mode she's in full like I don't know what to do with this situation mode but yeah I love it because she's full on like she just like abruptly leaves the room abruptly walks away and then she's like I can't deal with this I got a kitchen I just yeah, love it she's like, I must I must just chop stuff so she goes and <laughs> she's doing that and he's going on about how he loved her the whole time and then I, I wrote down the whole quote because I loved his proposal he says I think you were puzzled and hurt by my lack of openness with you let me be open now ever since I first saw you my love for you has grown I know I have no right to hope but I must ask can you forgive me? Can you love me? Will you marry me? Ah! Oh, I have my note here and I just wrote, damn, Dan Stevens is so good. He's so good. Because <laughs> uh, he really is. He could have <laughs> murdered a man earlier in this movie and said this line and we would all be like, oh, yep. Yeah, yes. pretty much. Yeah. And the answer would have been yes. Yes, I'll marry you. Of course you. I will. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She laughs and then she giggles and then she hugs him and they have their moment and then they kiss and then it spins around them like and you're like is there gonna be a montage while we spin but no it's just spinning around them for a while and they're kissing and it's beautiful and then it cuts to Marianne and Brandon's wedding day and he carries her over the threshold of Delaford and then we see Eleanor and her chickens. Yeah. We see Eleanor and Edward with their chickens in their quiet country parish, which is what he said. He was like a quiet country parish. It is then with chickens. And that's all she wanted too. It's a quiet country manor. It looks beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I will take it. No problem. Especially the chickens. <laughs> yes. The chickens. I said with chickens. And yes, I am sobbing. And that's my last note. I was weeping <laughs> openly at the end of this. I mean, I know we're at the end, but I have to go back to the kiss for just a second because she initiates the kiss. And she kisses like she has kissed many times before. And I just she had, sure a, does. I had a little moment where I was like, I just don't think Eleanor has been kissed before. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and so I felt like that was a little bit much. Like maybe if he had initiated and she had responded, it would have felt more genuine to me in that moment. But I, I mean, it was a great kiss. I think maybe we've just read too many like first kiss scenes about like our main <laughs> character is that first kiss and especially when the woman has never been kissed before and it's like 
She started out untutored, but quickly she caught on and she was swept away when his like tongue <laughs> licked the seam of her lips and she opened to him. Like we've just read too many of those. So for her, them to just like mash, we're like, nope, there needs to be more build here. And it's the climax. Yeah. The kiss is very like. It's 2008. I felt like we we wouldn't have kissed. I mean, there's always a kiss in the movie when they would definitely not even be kissing in the books before they were married. But I, I they would have, but, you know, not in this moment. El- Eleanor wouldn't be. Yeah. It was just, it's 2008. So we're, as, as I said, when I watched this, I said it's 2008. So we're having sex. <laughs> Absolutely. So two things on this point. One, Zoe, I must recommend this to you. Because this was sent to us after the 95 watch and it made my entire life. There's a deleted scene from the 1995 where Edward and Eleanor kiss oh. for the first time. <laughs> and in that one, not to give too much away, but but that is an Edward initiated kiss after engagement. Ooh. And it's Hugh Grant. And it's Hugh Grant. And it's perfect. Oh. It's it's perfect. It's a perfect scene. It's so good. They're both so in character. And there is that sort of like, she's shocked. She doesn't know what's happening. But then she sort of like gets into it <laughs> moment. It's so good. It's really good. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Yes. And number two, I love that you guys went straight to like the beauty of that first romantic kiss when a woman has not been kissed before. When it, you noted that it was her first kiss, honest to God, the first thing that came to my mind was that viral video from years ago where it was a wedding where neither party had kissed before the wedding day. Oh, my God. I do not remember this video. Oh, my God. Um, It's like no shame to anyone's practices. Like if you don't want to kiss before you're married or you don't want to kiss ever, that's fine. But this video is like these two people who've never kissed anybody before and their first kiss is at the altar and viscerally... It's like you see how bad the kiss is. Oh. Like it's horrible. And I pictured Dan Stevens and this very beautiful actress going in for that kiss. And I <laughs> am losing my yeah, mind. No. I, I'm not saying that's what I want. I'm just saying it seemed very practiced. Uh, and it was a beautiful kiss. Yes. <laughs> They're they're beautiful people kissing. I won't totally complain, but you are totally right that it would be different. Uh, but that is the end of the, the episode. We have Becca's study questions at the end of every movie watch. First question is best line delivery. So we we talked about this in one of the other episodes, but it was it was when um, uh, she said seven years at a great school in town, and that's all we have to show for it. Poor Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was Mrs. Jennings. That was, I think that was my favorite one. That was absolutely one of my favorites as well. Mine was the, as I mentioned, it was the scene with um, when Eleanor is like, do you not think I haven't been suffering this whole time? Like that to me was just perfect because it was like just the right amount of emotion. It was like the emotion of someone who's not used to sharing their feelings, like, but just like they just can't believe the absurdity of their sister just like fully thinking that they're not like having complete emotional turmoil right now because they're not showcasing it. Like it just was like, to me, that was just a perfect delivery. And I was like, I feel you, Eleanor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm torn between Edward's proposal because it's so good Mm -hmm. and and saying I'm sorry, it just popped out. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good one. 
Kelsey, I totally agree with you that um, when she says, but believe me, I have been very unhappy at the end of that speech. That is not only the best line delivery for me, but for me, that's probably my favorite speech in the book as well. So it's a perfect, perfectly written speech. But for the sake of having a separate quote, um, I will also give it to Robert Ferrers for my brother has spoken very highly of your beauty. He's generally a very poor judge of these things, but in this instance, I have to concur. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, next one is uh, notable differences from the book. I've never read this book before. Like, and honestly, I haven't watched the 1995 Sense and Sensibility in quite a long time. So I got nothing. <laughs> I think I, I raised my questions throughout the recording of like, is was this in the book? So like, I, I think like I was intuiting maybe what was and what, what wasn't in the book because it felt like this adaptation was was maybe going for something a little bit closer to the book and also with its own interpretation on that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll cede the floor to you guys. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, for one, it's clearly like the kissing is not in the book. Um, <laughs> I think my, the biggest difference, at least in this half, the rate at which Marianne gets over Willoughby because she witnesses the conversation between Willoughby and Eleanor. And then immediately falls in love with Brandon and then immediately gets married to him. And um, so that it I think it undermines her character a little bit, but I'm not upset about it. Like, I still liked watching it happen. Yeah. So for me, my forever and always gripe with the story is I want Lucy to be more evil. <laughs> She's more evil in this than she is in 95, but I want her to be a vicious, calculating, maniacal villain. And yeah. also, I would say probably making Willoughby even a little more evil. Um, oh, and getting to see Eliza as well mm -hmm. as part of making Willoughby more evil um, because this, this adaptation is much more interested in it, um, observing him as a, a real true villain than it is in um, giving him the opportunity to explain. Yeah. So worst moment. So for me, I wrote my like my least favorite part was um, perhaps just the lack of Alan Rickman uh, <laughs> in, in the whole thing. Um, but no, I said um, I really didn't like the scene of Marianne and Willoughby at his house and then the recap of it. Um, but I but really generally, I think the pacing, I thought that the pacing of this whole miniseries was very slow. I've watched a lot of British TV. I understand that that tends to 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 be the, you know, to skew towards that in in this style maybe of of filmmaking. Um, however, I just found it very slow. And I've watched the Pride and Prejudice by the same you know director team, um, and I did not find it that way at all. So I thought that that was interesting because I found this to be really slow, and I think that that made it more difficult for me to enjoy. That's fair. And I think to your point about Pride and Prejudice, I do think the Pride and Prejudice is also slow, but there's a big and notable difference, which is that in the Pride and Prejudice, there is a ton of the humor injected mm -hmm. into it from the book, which is a very funny book. Whereas Emma Thompson's adaptation of Sense and Sensibility injects a lot of wit 
And this one is much more focused on the more serious aspects of the plot than it is on the little witticisms. And the witticisms, when they're there, shine. Yeah. But it's not as it's not as popped in comedy as some of the other Jane Austen material out there, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. So I think I and granted, like, I think I just hated and it just because it just was so cringy was when Marianne's like yelling after Willoughby and like making a scene in the ball and I'm just like I understand I'm just like Marianne no Marianne no Marianne keep it together oh my god like to me like I understand why they did that but to me it just was like oh it just was like so cringy and I just like was like this could have been done better and like still had the same amount of drama but I'm just like this would never have happened like did it happen in the book because it does happen in the 95 version yeah and it happens in the book too yeah so I guess it's part of the book but like I don't know I guess that's just my least favorite scene just because I guess it's just the cringiness of it it's very cringy (laughs) it's it's you feel so like you just want her to stop I agree with you I wanted to like leave the room like I like sometimes when there's like a cringe moment in a show or a movie I'm like I just need to leave like I can't I can't watch this I, I'm just cringing so bad I'm like I can't I can't be a part of this totally I think I have to agree with Zoe um and not necessarily like the pacing of the whole thing although it is weird like in certain moments it's very like back and forth fast paced with like uh we're having flashbacks we're going from from this moment to this moment back to this moment like with the duel they're like flashing back and between the duel and everything um I thought what was weirdest about the pacing is that is like what they chose to omit and what they chose to add and like how much time they chose to spend on those things like the fact that they didn't show Eleanor and Brandon having the conversation where he asks her to talk to Edward or the fact that they didn't show Marianne finding out that Lucy and Eleanor or Lucy and (laughs) Lucy and Eleanor would be an interesting pairing. Um, (laughs) Lucy and Edward are engaged like those conversations that I feel like are kind of integral to the plot. They only showed the reactions to them. Um, I just thought that was a little bit weird, but I didn't I wasn't mad about it necessarily. Overall, I think I've I've freaking loved this adaptation so I don't have a lot of gripes with it I'm kind of like scraping for him but that was something I was like why did you spend so much time on the duel and no time on Eleanor and Brandon's friendship in the second half yeah I think there were some hit or misses as far as like what they chose to focus on versus what they chose to showcase and I do agree that lends a lot of it to the pace Mm -hmm. my least favorite moment in this is the duel it's just very dramatic oh yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is such a weird little foray into the um into like like a, a heightened super contemporary world for a second. I actually kind of feel the same way about the sex scene at the beginning yes. of it as well. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like both of those scenes just really pull me out of the the story in general. But I think generally I'm with Molly in terms of generally enjoying a lot about this so it doesn't bug me to my wits end that this exists do you know how long it took me to realize what the sex scene at the beginning was about because like <laughs> I was like all of a sudden this is happening and then I was like watching it and I was like what did I watch at the beginning of this like why did I watch that like I don't understand I thought it was an interesting choice to have that in there because I felt like they set this really steamy tone and then there was almost nothing steamy until like the end again so it felt like it felt very jarring in a way because you're like whoa this is what we're watching but then you weren't watching that 
I agree. Like it was like all of a sudden it was like really intensive and I'm like, I'm ready for some intensity. Like, let's do it. And then like you said, and then all of a sudden the pace like slowed way the hell down. Yeah. And like it changed tone completely. Yes, absolutely. All right. Now, favorite moment from the the episode, I should say. I think I can be quick again because I think my favorite moment was the few moments of Dan Stevens. I felt like he actually did not have a ton of screen time, um, but anytime he was on screen, he just absolutely lit it up um, and just like brought a different energy to to the role. I, again, I'm not 100% positive. It's the right Edward energy, but man, I just, he's so charismatic and there's just, you look at him and he's just such a star and like you you can't take your eyes away from him. I think I've already discussed my favorite is that sister moment. Like, mm, yeah, I'm just yeah. going to, like, when I think of this adaptation, that's all I want to think about is just that sister moment. The Edward and Eleanor moments in this half were really beautiful for me. The one where they're talking about their feelings at long last. Um, and he, she says, I wouldn't have thought so highly of you if you had acted differently. That was uh, uh, so good. And then also his proposal, I wept. Um, I am going to just have to agree with Kelsey. I love the Eleanor and Marianne scene. It's so pivotal for me. So we're going to do this. This is something we should just generally do, I think, when we cover adaptations. Let's give a three-sentence summary of how we felt about this movie or just overall thoughts on the movie. Does that make sense as our way to do it? Sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> it does not have to be three sentences. Oh, you you can rant. You are, We are totally a safe space for ranting. We appreciate it when our guests don't like the content that we're watching or listening to. I love when our guests don't like the content. Because it creates so many better conversations when people disagree with us. Yeah. I mean, like, I thought it was fine. Like, I definitely think that of, like, Jane Austen adaptations, like, I have liked, I really, like, liked the 1995 Sense and Sensibility, so I really did enjoy that. I And I will say, like, I'm always a big fan of a miniseries, but I think, like, agree in the sense of, like, the the pacing was just kind of off for me. Like, at the same time, too, though, Dan Stevens like I did think there was like really good moments and that's really what like helped me like keep going through it so like I feel good having watched it I didn't regret watching it am I going to watch it again probably not unless I really need to take that much time out of my life (laughs) so I um really did not enjoy this adaptation at all Uh, I found very little of it to grab my attention because of the pacing. I thought the pacing was dismal. Um, I really also thought that the casting was and the writing choices was simply fine. And I think like I think what you touched on a little bit about the witticisms was lost for me Um, just because it felt very one note with a few bright, you know, spots in there. I think that, you know, I I think there was talent in the cast, but unfortunately, like, I'm sorry, this is not three sentences, (laughs) but unfortunately, like when you when I look at it compared to the just the dine dynamics that you got from the 95 cast it just it paled in comparison and I know it was trying to do something else but it did not resonate with me what they were trying to do I felt relief that it was over I was just like oh thank god like I could I really could just like 
couldn't be bothered with it anymore. Um, I just, I found very little that connected with me in this one. It felt to me like it was a lot about Marianne. And I don't think Marianne's the most interesting character at all. And I also didn't think this actress as Marianne brought all of the things that I think she could have to Marianne. Like, I think Mary, I, I, I preferred Kate Winslet's Marianne. I thought she's more kind of fluttery and like, you know, all over the place. And this one, I don't know. She was good. Um, Very I, dramatic. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it didn't connect with me again. So I, 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 I felt like my, my note here was, and I'm eh about Marianne, especially this Marianne. So I just like, I, I just, it didn't work for me. That's fair. And I, I'll say this much. Um, we didn't talk about it so much during um, the read through of the book. And this is generally a more book accurate adaptation. But um, there is a contingent of Jane Austen fans who find Sense and Sensibility to be drab and be a little bit less um, fun and witty than her other books and find the love interest lacking. I personally like it the best for a lot of reasons. It's it's my favorite book, but because it's like very sister focused and I'm just a sucker for sister's tales generally mm -hmm. and seaside tales, but that's a different story. <laughs> um, so I think that it is really fair to find Sense and Sensibility, especially this adaptation, not to your taste. It might not be for everyone. And the uh, Emma Thompson one certainly is much more universal in a lot of ways. So that being said, my take on this one is that I really like it. I think it is a, a very close adaptation of the book in a lot of ways. And I think it's not trying to be the 1995, which I appreciate. Yes. I don't think anybody could capture the magic of that movie with its cast and its. I agree. Um, I agree. And it's its story. So I, I appreciate that it's doing something different. and. I found this one a lot later in life and I think what I appreciate about it is that it's, you know, it goes a little bit more high drama. It gives me the story in a new fashion and as someone who loves this story, I'll take it in any fashion. Uh, but I don't think it's totally, I don't, I don't think it's objectively better than the 95. <laughs> I've been mulling over what Zoe said about this one focusing more on Marianne and Marianne being the least interesting character, because I agree that, that I don't think, <laughs> all right, maybe I'm just being controversial to be controversial now, but <laughs> go for it. I don't think that Eleanor or Marianne are the most exciting characters in this story. I think Colonel Brandon's the most exciting character in this story. And yes. Just don't get enough of him ever. I think that's totally fair because I felt like there was a lot going on with him and like he kept popping up and I'm like but what's his backstory like are we going to get a flashback of Brandon like we needed a what we should have had all right this is what I need is a flashback since this one is so into flashbacks what we really needed is a flashback of Brandon and Eliza and their love story like because th this Brandon like yes okay I think that he is handsome however he his storytelling was not as awkward as Colonel Brandon should be, but it also wasn't captivating enough to be uh, like captivating, you know? So like when he was telling the story about Eliza, it was just a little bit overdramatic. So I think like one big takeaway from this adaptation, which I 
did thoroughly enjoy is that like there were moments where it was just too overdramatic for me to take seriously. And most of those moments were Brandon being too intense. Heartbreaking for my boyfriend who loves this actor from The Walking Dead. But <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, and I still love him. I still love his Brandon. I still love Alan Rickman's Brandon. I could I Brandon could literally be anyone. And I would be like, yes, because he's a perfect character. Um, and I love his story and I love his growth and I love um, just everything about him. So, yes, but my my ta- my overall takeaway is that I did love this adaptation. I love both adaptations. I think that I liked this Eleanor more overall and she does tend to carry the story. But yeah, that's all that's all I have to say about that. So, at the beginning of this, you guys asked us if we had a hot take and I didn't know what a hot take was. <laughs> but I I do have a hot take now. And that that hot take is that I think that Dan Stevens would have made a better Willoughby than an Edward. Because I think that if he had been cast as this particular Willoughby, it would have been way more heartbreaking and way more like like hard for us to let go of him like Marianne. And I just, Mm. I think also he would have brought a lot to that role. I think Dan Stevens is a super interesting actor, um, which I won't go into here, but like, I, that's my hot take. Like, I think he would have been right as Willoughby. I love that hot take. I actually really love that hot take a lot, partially because this is also something that Jane Austen adaptations do in general. It's done in Pride and Prejudice a lot where uh, Wickham is supposed to be the hottest man. And part of the reason he gets away with everything is because he's super hot. And they always cast a super, super heartthrob to play Darcy, which is a problem because you're like, well, no, you like if you're going to be ultra charmed by anybody, it's going to be Colin Firth in the corner. (laughs) Um, But I think that that this adaptation suffers from something similar. Obviously, Dominic Cooper, superstar, Mamma Mia. (laughs) And uh, Howard Stark in Captain America, the first Avenger. But he doesn't play Willoughby as hot as he is generally and Edward is not supposed to be a dreamboat. He's supposed to be kind of modest and sweet. Mm-hmm. And so you have this pair of like big blue eyes staring at you and saying, I'd like a quiet country parish. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm Jewish, but I'll go to a quiet country parish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. So last question here would be who wins the episode? Actually, this is a perfect segue because you just said it, which I wrote down Dan Stevens' eyes. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Yeah, I think I have to agree. (laughs) You said that and I'm like, actually, that's so perfect because like I 100%, although I will say like, I mean, I got to love Anne. Yeah, she was great. Anne's great. She's so great. It just (laughs) popped out. Absolutely. Um, I am going to give it to the woman playing Eleanor because I think her breakdown is very effective totally. in this story. So, um, yeah. Oh, my God. This concludes our coverage of Sense and Sensibility in particular. Zoe and Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us on this extremely long journey. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. For our listeners who are wondering what's going to happen next, we are not going to go straight into Emma. You're going to get some cool other content coming down the pipeline. Um, We will keep you updated on that. But then we will be going straight into our read of Emma. 
but Tian Strumpets, do you want to tell the people where they can find you one more time? I would love to. Yep. We're a podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you know where to get podcasts and we're everywhere you can get podcasts. We're on social media at T as in Tom and as Nancy Strumpets. And we are also, we've got a website called romancepod.com. And again, we have a podcast where we talk about Regency romance books and other books that are adjacent to that genre. And we read a book and we talk about it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So we really hope you'll give us a listen. Perfect. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Until next time, stay proper and find yourself a pair of Dan Stephen blue eyes. Yes. yes. <laughs> Great pick. I was going to say the same. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.